You're listening to a live recording from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Westside. I'm Ben Fleming. I'm one of the senior pastors here on staff. And I'd just like to welcome you again, all of you that are online, as well as those of you in the room. And happy 4th and happy potential, hopefully, dear Jesus, we need an end to this heat wave that we've had for the last several days. There was a moment, I live on the northeast side, where it was... 100 degrees, and I woke up to ice in my backyard because, it's, because of a tremendous hailstorm that happened the night before. And I just went to bed because I didn't believe that any of this was real. And it was very confusing. Romans chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. If you want to join us there in Romans 1, verse 1. This is part 2 of our series going all the way through the book of Romans this summer. Pastor Bo led us off this last week talking about the context of the scripture, and we'll talk more about that as we go along. Uh, but let's go ahead and jump into verse one here. This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. God promised his good news not long ago through the prophets in his holy scriptures. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line and he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and the authority as his apostles. There we go, it changed on the screen. <laughs> to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this morning, the community that we get to gather as. We're grateful to be Westside Church, but we're far more grateful to know you and spend time with you and learn and listen from each other and from you. So we're grateful for this community, Lord. Speak to us. Our hearts are humble. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. So one of the things that's really important to understand in the context of this, the writing of this letter from Paul is that he's speaking to a church where not long ago, about five years previous, the Jewish Christians had been pushed out by the Roman government. And so a church that was Gentile and Jew coming under the banner of Christ now is split up to where there's only Gentiles left in this place. Well, five years later, the, the Jewish Christians return and Paul is writing a letter to a group of people that are experiencing a tremendous amount of, of strife in some cases, but certainly of change because now there's debates raging once again about holidays, about circumcision, about all these kinds of things that one tradition is held over another and they're trying to discover what they believe and who they are and how they should practice. Change, 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 change is happening. And now I don't know if you understand this or you know this, I bet you do, that not every human being super enjoys change. Actually, change is one of the greatest causes of fear, according to statistics, and it can be good change or bad change. Fear is created in areas of change. Now, I've discovered in myself, I've reached the point, you guys, I swore I would never get here, but I've gotten here, to where I don't believe that new music is being made anymore. I remember talking to my dad, who we would get in the car, be like, Dad, can we listen to this music? Can we try this radio station? Can we do this? And he'd be like, nope. Welcome to News Talk Radio AM 1120 here, uh, top of the hour. And it was like, all right, here we are again. <laughs> dad, it's new. It's cool. Dad didn't care at all. And I was like, I don't think that's ever going to happen to me. Well, here we are. Where people say, have you heard this song? Have you heard of this band? I'm like, you guys, I haven't been paying attention for at least 10 years now. I'm stuck on... 
I'm stuck on late 90s kind of grunge stuff. I got early 2000s punk stuff. I've got classic rock. I've even got some of the boy band era from the 90s. I was talking to a kid recently who asked me this. said, have you heard of? And I was like, man, I haven't heard of, I haven't heard of that. This is kind of the era of music that I listened to. And he was like, oh yeah, so like Justin Timberlake, right? And I was like, yes, yes. How do you know him? You know? He was like, yeah, yeah, he was in that band, the Backstreet Boys. And I was like, you dirty little. For those of you who don't know, NSYNC was Justin Timberlake's band, not the Backstreet Boys. And we had a connection, and now that kid doesn't belong in youth group anymore. And <laughs> a change is hard, right? Change is difficult. Change in all different ways and shapes and forms. It'll push us. It'll press us. It'll put us in difficult positions to make good decisions. And I want you to know something specifically about our area here in Central Oregon. Central Oregon is changing all the time. And if we're aware of it, we'll, we'll understand that we're actually a lot like the church in Rome, where there's people coming from all different directions and backgrounds. By the way, I believe that this is a good thing. And we're going to have discussions about traditions and practices, and there's difficult things to be discovered and understood through the, through the idea of spreading the gospel to the area around us. That, that doesn't mean that the gospel changes at all, but it does mean that we need to be able to equip ourselves to not respond in fear to change around us. Now, that's the real reason that change can be a problem, right? Is that fear enters the picture. Now, what fear does chemically in our brains, it turns some things off and it, it accelerates other things in our brains so that we actually have a difficult time making the right decision if it's not just a decision for us. Because really our brains have this ability and it comes from being attacked from wild animals and things like that. That when a bear attacks, our brain does things so that we only make the best decisions in order to ensure our own survival. I'm going to run this fast. I'm going to climb this. I'm going to just give up as quickly as possible, actually, and let the bear eat me because I'm not fast enough. That's how I feel like I might end up. Not a lot of Leonardo DiCaprio in this body here, all right? And our brain does some things that when it comes to group decision-making and when it comes to spreading the gospel and creating communities that are about more than just ourselves, when we allow fear to enter into the picture, churches and Christians and families will begin to make decisions out of fear that purely enable and equip themselves to sustain their own life of survivability. I want you to understand something that we as the church cannot make fear-based decisions if we are truly to spread the gospel to the world and the area that God has given us. We cannot do that by simply reacting in fear. We've got to do something that I often tell my six-year-old son to do. I tell him he's got to slow his heart rate down a little bit. My son gets excited and he wants dinner now and he wants to do this now. And he, got, he starts me and I say, okay, we got to breathe for a second. We got to slow down. And the church does this as well. Something happens, someone says something, something scares us. And all of a sudden there's just this reaction. And instead we got to slow our heart rate down. We've got to listen to the Holy Spirit. We've got to gather data and understanding of the people around us. And then we've got to be able to make quality decisions about the thing that's going on in front of us. I got to tell you that because of who we are, because we belong with Jesus, because we believe we've discovered the truth of the purpose for our lives, we now are enabled to no longer spend time making decisions purely out of fear, but we can make them out of our understanding of Jesus. 
And that gets even better when we understand that we have been made righteous in the sight of God. I'm going to read this scripture to you. Paul goes down, he talks about, after verse 5, how much he wants to be with the church in Rome. And he talks about this good news over and over again. He talks about the good news seven times, as a matter of fact. Just in, in verses 1 through 17. The good news, the good news, the good news. Which, by the way, is something that we can begin to lead with. That should be our attitude. This is good, exciting news that Paul is bringing into the uncertain times for this church. I wonder if the world around us is confident through the words and the way that we hold ourselves that the message that we carry is, in fact, it's good, it's good, it's good news. I got a text message from a friend of mine uh, last night that sent me a video clip of the movie Luca. Any of you guys watch Luca? It's a new Disney movie, Disney play. We got a big fan here in the back. One person has watched Luca. Well, I won't spoil it for you. But... There's this clip that he sent me that, um, that one of the main characters disappears. And then there's a father who says, where is so-and-so? And another one of the characters says, well, he's gone. And the father says, I'm going to go look for him. And the other kid says, I don't think he wants to be looked for. And the father responds, I'm going to go look for him anyway, just in case. And my friend sent the text message below that. He said, I hope your preaching sounds like this tomorrow. And I was like, I hope we sound like that. I hope Westside Church sounds like that. Well, you know, the world thinks this about you and you know what's going on, right? You know about this? I'm gonna go look for them anyway. I don't think they wanna be looked after. I don't think they wanna hear you. I don't think they wanna see us. We're gonna go and we're gonna love them just in case. I wonder if we lead with that. I worked for a newspaper for a while um, while I was in college and my editor, Steve Matthews, God bless you, Steve, for all the red ink and all the patience. And I learned about what a lead was in a newspaper article. And so I wrote up, my first story was about Henley volleyball and they won really easily in three sets and all this stuff. And I wrote this article about 300 words and he said, what's this about? And I said, it's about volleyball. And he said, no, 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 I've read half the thing and I still don't know what happened. Who won? Who played? <laughs> and he said, let me tell you about a lead, okay? The lead is that first paragraph or maybe a paragraph and a half where you tell me everything that I need to know, that I know who won, I know who played, and I know where it was right at the beginning of the thing. Sometimes I wonder if the church veers away from Paul's philosophy in this letter to these people that he's loving and he's trying to encourage. I wonder if sometimes we bury the lead that, of love that Jesus provides for us so often. That this is good news. Just like the angels said, as, as Jesus was being born, they said, we bring good tidings of great joy and they're for all people. We're gonna start the discussion with this good news that we're gonna go out and we're gonna love and we're gonna care for the world around us just in case. We're gonna love them anyway. And then Paul says this in verse 16. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the good news about Christ. He says it again, for it is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes, the Jew first, also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person 
has life. So he says God makes us right in his sight. And then he talks about how it's through faith that a righteous person has life. I want you to notice something really simple in the scripture that Paul points out. He says God has made us right. God has made us right. I don't know about you, but I find myself often caught up in trying to make it very clear that I am right. Because of my own knowledge and my own decisions, my own arrogance. No, I'm right because of this. But what Paul is trying to tell us is, look, I know that you've strived. I know that you've sacrificed in this way. And I know that you've thought about your relationship with God in only this context before. But something great has happened in the fact that Jesus has died on the cross and he's risen again and defeated death for our sin. And now we have been made right in his sight. All of this striving now that you thought that you needed, instead, it has been replaced by this work that has already been done for us. And so now we can experience a true and real life because of our righteousness in him. So what does this really look like? Well, Paul talks about in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. Check this out. He describes righteousness with a bit of a word picture. He says, so since you've been raised to life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Now check this out in verse three. For you died to this life. Your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. Again, verse three, you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. My wife is uh, adopted. She was adopted, I think, when it went officially official when she was one or two months old and um, her parents just moved up here during COVID. Actually, they're in Sun River. They're probably watching right now. Hello. Uh, I hope this scores major points as I share this story. (laughs) My father-in-law and I have not always been on the best terms for obvious reasons. (laughs) I went, I I proposed to my wife. uh, I I wanted to propose, excuse me. But I talked to her dad over Christmas and he said, I said, hey, I'd like to talk to you about something. He said, that's great. Why don't you come out here with me and help me set up these Christmas lights? And we start talking. I said, I'd like to talk to you about Mary and Rebecca. And he said, why don't you climb up on this ladder? (laughs) (laughs) That conversation went about as good as you thought it did. (laughs) But my wife, my wife's adopted and, um, they, we recently, she got one of those ancestry tests where you, you, you spit in one of these tubes and that tube hung out on our kitchen counter way too long. Um, you spit in one of these tubes, you send it in and then they tell you because of based on your DNA, um, basically where you come from and maybe even some illnesses that you're more prone to than others because she doesn't know anything about her birth parents at all. A lot of it's a mystery. And so we got it back and she got the results and she was like, you know, I don't think I care about any of this. I was like, why? Don't you want to know? There's so many mysteries. And what if, you know, cancer's more a part of this game than you thought it was or whatever? You know, I'm a really hopeful guy. <laughs> and she goes, I don't, I don't care. And then you watch her interact with her parents. And it's really simple, right? I even just said it. I, I call them her parents. And even though she had different birth parents and she calls them mom and dad. And when she calls them mom and dad, the response is, daughter or a nickname or a family name. 
And you see, what's evident in her life with her parents is exactly what Paul is talking about. Is because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we've been made righteous. And what righteousness looks like now is that you've been hidden. Your real life has been hidden within the greatness and the sacrifice of Jesus. So what does that mean? That means when we come before God or when we're trying to figure out our purpose and our plan, our hope in this life, when we become discouraged, we find ourselves broken and inadequate and we go and we speak to God and we say, God, he doesn't look at us and go, oh, again, what is your problem? You're always coming to my door, knocking, asking for stuff. You know, we kind of look back like, oh, just, man, I don't know. But what God does because of the sacrifice of Jesus, God does when we knock on the door and he opens it, he looks at us and he sees who, not just our sin, not our brokenness, not our failures. He looks at us because of the sacrifice of Jesus and he sees Jesus. We're hidden. Now, I don't know about you, but I believe that that is enough for me. If I can meditate on that, if I can consider that, if I can be prayerful on that truth, that is enough to remove any fear that my own soul or that the world around me can put into my life. Because I'm hidden. And no matter what you think about me or what other people think about you or what you see right here on this platform and all of my imperfections, I am confident that God sees his son. That's what righteousness looks like. A righteous life is hidden in Christ. Let's get ready to take communion. Uh, I'll give you an extra second here to, to remove the thin top layer to get to the wafer. Uh, those of you with engineering degrees, please help those of you, those next to you, open these. This is where real living starts. With the understanding that we've been made right, not based on our own deeds or our own goodness, but because of the generosity and the grace of God. And I believe truly that that's where uh, the most fulfilling life comes from. I've gone through a lot of different stages in my life thinking, oh, really living looks like, and every generation does this, right? We all do this, and there's actually a lot of real beauty in it. But we all say, I just want, I want to live. And our responses to that are different. I want to live. I want to have a family. I want to live. I want to travel. I want to live. I want to stay single. I want to live. I want to do this and that. And all of these things are great. Absolutely none of it is bad or good in and of itself. But no matter what we do, when we understand that we've just, we've just been made right. Because of that father that walked after us anyway, just in case. Man, we just, we, we got to live confident. And so when you hear the horror stories about what's going to happen to your life or to your city or to your neighborhood, you hear the news stories on any side and they come at us and they say, this is why you should fear. We respond and say, this is why we're going to live anyway. That's a church. Man, that's a church.
we receive the good news of Jesus. So let me tell you about communion for a second. Um, neither of these things that you hold in your hands right now are holy, okay? I don't even know what this is. Some say it's rice. Some say it's styrofoam. <laughs> Jury's out. <laughs> I used to steal the oyster crackers when I was a kid in church and just pound handfuls of them. You got you to have water ready if you're going to do that. I remember one time an elder or some of the church community, these are the holy elements. I was like, no, they're saltines. <laughs> it turns out I was right. These things are not holy. There's nothing special about them. What is special about these moments and this liturgy that we participate in right now in the form of communion, what is holy is this time of remembrance. These are memorial stones that draw us back to the grace and the forgiveness that God provides for all of us right now in this moment. So don't get caught up in what you're holding in your hands or what's exactly in front of you, but let's get caught up in grace together as we receive the elements. So Jesus, we thank you for your body that was broken for us, the sacrifice made so that we would have life and have it abundantly. Lord, I pray that we would remember because of the sacrifice you have made for us, we have been made righteous. That when you look at this room, it's full of Jesus in this moment. We give you praise. Let's take the bread. Jesus, we thank you for the blood that was spilled for us. We remember that sacrifice. And Lord, as we think about even the consistency of this juice that's in this cup, Lord, I could just imagine it pouring over our world and over our hearts that it might cover and hide us that we would find ourselves in that righteousness. We thank you for the blood in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together.